welcome to the Tao Te Ching podcast with Shu Li. If you've been following the series so far, welcome back. It's great to have everyone join us to see how we can further grow the universal Tao within our own lives. Please follow, share, and write a review on the podcast if you can. You can also email on ddjpodcast at gmail.com to let me know your thoughts on the program. This episode, we'll be diving into Chapter 3 of the Tao Te Ching. We'll read it as a whole and then go back to observe the details. Keep the people from contention by disregarding men of abilities. Keep the people from theft by not valuing rare goods. Keep the people from the disturbed state of mind by concealing what is desirable. That is why, in governing the people, the sage simplifies their minds but fills up their stomachs, weakens their wills but strengthens their bones. By keeping the people from knowledge and desires, he disables wise men from taking active action. Act in accordance with this principle of inaction and the world will be in order. On the surface, this chapter could be taken as political advice to a king, prince, noble, or politician because only they hold power over the ordinary people. On a very literal level, there are two sides at play here, the governors and those who are governed. Though this text is coming from ancient feudal society, there is not much difference between these two classes of people in today's socio-political landscape. This dichotomy still exists. The ruling class still exists. The non-ruling masses still exist. Anyone who has or has had a disproportionate amount of wealth has always had a socio-political advantage over someone whose wealth does not match that of his opponent. It didn't matter what type of political order your society has styled itself on, whether tribal, feudal, empirical, communist, socialist, democratic, capitalistic. The rulers have written the laws and the masses have had to follow the executive directions of those rulers. But for us here on this podcast, we're not going to interpret the Tao Te Ching in this political fashion. There are a few reasons why I'm not going to read this book politically. Firstly, if this was taken as political advice, it would be impossible to achieve. Secondly, if this was taken as political advice, it would be useless to me as an individual because I am not in any way, shape or form a political ruler. The closest that I would come to that type of influence would be over my own household and children. Perhaps in parenting, some of this advice may be useful, but that would be a different subject matter for a different day. So the way I would approach this chapter is to understand it in terms of my own spiritual development. If you revere and reward the so-called smart people in this society, it will encourage competition in your country. Let me begin by paraphrasing the opening of this chapter. If you revere and reward the so-called smart people in your society, it will encourage competition in your country. 
If you don't praise and esteem these so-called smart people, the populace will not compete with each other over these job positions that you and your government hand out. As a result, there will be nothing to compete for and the masses will be content in following each to their own natural courses. This is part of the way of the Tao. If you hold dear the value of rare products such as gold, diamonds, all manner of jewels, elephant tusks, all manner of animal parts, you cannot seriously expect that there will be no thieves, can you? Just ask yourself, why do nations have armies and why do their leaders have bodyguards? If we were all good, what do we have to be afraid of? If we were all balanced in our positions, who would want to steal from us? This reminds me of the many convicts that were shipped off to Australia at the beginning of British settlement in 1788 to 1868. According to some historical sources, during this 80-year period, 164 convicts were transported to the colonies in what we know as Australia today. Of course, at that time, it wasn't called Australia, because Australia was the new name the British had given to it after they had taken over. So what has this got to do with the Tao and the Tao Te Ching, you ask? The point of this story was to point out that many of these people became convicts because of petty theft, which means that they were shipped off from their homeland in Britain because they had stolen some bread or money. And yes, human laws everywhere say that it is bad to steal. But we must make an effort to understand why these people stole. Did they steal because they enjoyed it? Because it was fun? Did they steal because of greed? Did they steal because they were evil people? Or did they steal out of necessity? Did they steal because they wanted to survive in a society that did not give them other options? Maybe we should ask why the government of the time couldn't find a more effective way of managing their own country and their own people. But since this is not a podcast on history or politics, we shall not pursue that here. The historians tell us that approximately one-third of these convicts were petty thieves. They stole because they did not even have the basic necessities to live. They were driven to theft because their society was not fair to them. Society was not balanced. Some people had more than what was necessary, and others had less than what was necessary for survival. What happened to all the capable people working for the government who were supposed to be making sure that society was running smoothly? Here, I guess a little bit of imagination would help us fill the gaps in the history books. Continuing to paraphrase the Tao Te Ching, I would say, But if no one esteemed these rare items as any more valuable than a piece of wood, who would want to steal them? We would therefore live in a society without thieves, and the world would be more at peace. Human beings would respect each other. There would be no reason to constantly be at each other's throats because I want what you have because I think that's what I need. Fighting each other is a terribly tiring occupation. It wears out our minds, 
bodies and it tires our spiritual selves to the point where we've lost the plot where we've lost the meaning and purpose of being a human being as part of the bigger picture part of the grand universe yes you and i as individuals are important but we must not forget that we are also part of the universe this means that we must also see ourselves as intricate parts of the whole, part of the way of the Tao. If we are constantly putting on display things that will stir up the human desires, can you expect people's hearts and minds to be settled? And if our palaces are not settled, how can they be safe places of peace? Can you expect people's hearts and minds to not crave and lust after the things that pleasure the eyes and senses? Would you expect people to not covet? Coveting means to want something that you don't have. It generally has a negative connotation because it is treated as a form of greed in Christianity. King David of Israel coveted Bathsheba, who was another person's wife, when he already had wives of his own. And guess what happened as a result? It eventually led to King David's downfall. Consequently, King David's sons rebelled against him, and this family affair tore apart the peace in King David's family and his kingdom. Julius Caesar was at one stage the mightiest man on the European continent, but he coveted the throne of Rome and began to act like a king when the Senate wanted to keep Rome a republic. This led to his assassination. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the story of the Trojan prince who took the Spartan king's wife. The prince's family and his city were sacked and pillaged as a result of his covetousness. We could go on forever with stories of covetousness and greed and how it rewards those who covet. But the Tao Te Ching does not judge these people or events as being bad or good. As we already know, the Tao is not God and is not a judge. The Tao is simply the way nature took its course in any one event. Nature tells us that this is what happened. It doesn't tell us whether what happened was good or bad. It doesn't tell us that we should follow this king or rebel against that lord, fight for this city or die for that country. The Tao Te Ching is not an instruction manual for how to rule a kingdom or how to live your life. It doesn't tell you what you should do and what you should not do. It does tell us one thing, though. It shows us the universe and the human world as they are. Take it or leave it. And it spells out the consequences of our actions, whichever paths we choose to take. If we upset the balance in the universe, if we upset the balance in the universe, we will be upset due to the lack of balance in the universe. This is not necessarily about morality. It's about balance. It's not necessarily about ethics. It's about equilibrium. It's about the natural order of the universe and the way of the Tao. There's no anger in it, like God is said to be angry in the descriptions in the Bible. There is no punishment. There is no vengeance. There is no emotionalism. 
There is balance or there is a lack of balance. This is what constitutes one of the most basic elements of the Tao Te Ching. Empires come and empires go. Rulers come and rulers go. And no matter how powerful and glorious they became, after they go, they are quickly forgotten. The people after these kings and rulers and leaders change the laws that they had established and divide the lands that they had united. History has taught us that unity cannot be forced. But how often do we listen to history? We can go on ignoring history, but no one can ever escape the cycle of their own timing. This is part of the reason why the Tao Te Ching says that when governing, the sage simplifies their minds. We can take this as meaning that the person who lives in accordance with the Tao simplifies his or her own mind, but fills up the stomach, weakens the will, but strengthens the bones. Simplifying one's own mind is an act of purification and universal clarification. It doesn't require religion, although religion could also be part of this process if that is what one chooses. The world is a complex place, and there are indeed thousands of interesting theories to know about. From all directions, waves of information beat up against our palace every minute, and we feel that we need to surrender our time to them all. It is as if we are still living in the age of the Great Flood. It is as if we are all Noah, and we need to keep afloat in our boats in order to survive or be swept away and sink into the depths of information. If we were to invest our precious time on every Tom, Dick, and Harry who claims to have something we need, we would certainly not have any time left for ourselves. The truth is, we should first be giving time to ourselves to appreciate our relationship with the universe. From this exercise, we will be able to start rebalancing our boats upon the waters and begin turning that vast ocean of information into a wealth of universal wisdom. Please do not surrender away your will to every new product that Tom, Dick, and Harry entices you with. You already have a unique life that must be known and preserved in the way of the Tao. In order to do this, you must give the self within you enough time of day to discover itself. This is what is meant by weakening the will and keeping the people from knowledge and desires. When we weaken the will for things that are exterior to ourselves, we will have more will, more interest, more desire, and more passion to know ourselves. But if we spend our entire will on entertaining exterior objects, we start to lose knowledge of ourselves and the ability to be equilibrious. We start to lose the balance within our own boats. We let the waters flood over and drown out our palaces. The final sentence of chapter 3 says, Act in accordance with this principle of inaction, and the world will be in order. In the original, it says, Wei, Wei, 
则无不至。This literally translates as "Let the non-action be, and there will be nothing that is not managed well." The Chinese character for the word "manage" is the word "zhi." Traditionally, this word is mainly used in two types of situations. The first is politics. For example, "zhi guo," meaning to manage a kingdom. Secondly, it is used in the field of medicine. For example, "zhi bing," meaning to cure a disease. There was a man in ancient Chinese history known as Yu the Great. Now, the reason they call him that was because he established the first dynasty belonging to the Yellow River civilization by controlling the floodwaters. This feat of management was so monumental and important to the ancestors of the Chinese people that King Yu's legacy lives on to this day as a reminder to all that ruling a kingdom basically means to fix its water problems. And fixing water problems essentially means to rebalance water within your territory. You can't get rid of water. You can't kill water like an enemy. So there must be a way to rechannel its flow that will bring benefit to the ecosystem and the society around it. In terms of traditional medicine, water was and still is used to boil herbs, which would then be drank like a soup as medicine. Although this herbal remedy is intended to cure diseases, traditional Chinese medicine, or TCM, does not actually work in this way. TCM is not the same as sending Rambo into your body to kill off the disease. Traditional Chinese medicine is more like drinking special water into your body to rebalance the yin and the yang forces within your body, so that your body will be able to heal itself. But in order for the body to heal itself, the body itself first needs the action of rebalancing. There are three ingredients that make this process possible. Number one, the herbs. Which come from nature. Number two, the water, which also comes from nature, and number three, time. Time meaning sufficient rest time, which comes from the person who gives his own body the time to let nature take its course through his body, so that it can rebalance itself. In whichever case, the Chinese word and ideogram "zhi" tells us that managing and curing has something to do with water and a platform. The platform could also mean a stage, a stand, a station, or even a table. What do these things have in common with each other? They must all be balanced in order to be of their true nature and to work effectively. Let's take a moment to meditate on that. Are our lives at the moment as balanced, as equilibrious as we would like them to be? With that thought, we come to the close of chapter three. I hope this has been of help to you in some way on our journey to find rebalance within our own lives and to be more equilibrious. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dao De Jing podcast.